Let us turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And uh, I have entitled this message, Understanding Faiths. Understanding Faiths. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord would work in your hearts as you give yourself to listen reverently to this expositional sermon. Let us all pray and seek the Lord. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are weak in listening to your word, in submitting to your word, in understanding your word, and that's the reason we pray and cry out to you that you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word and give us a listening heart and also an obedient heart to submit to the authority of your word. May we not be mere listeners, but live by what you speak to us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the church. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. After going through the journey of 10 chapters, we have finally arrived at the practical exhortation by the author of Hebrews. You read any book, that's how it is. Initially, there will be strong doctrine and then comes practical exhortation. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11, although people don't read the rest of the chapters, but 11 is famous. It is famous for faith. And we see great heroes of faith in this chapter. But what people miss is, this, miss is that Hebrews chapter 11 is a continuation of what the author has been exhorting in chapter 10. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but it is good if we read. But I would like to read from verse 37 to let you know that Hebrews 11 is a continuation of what he was speaking to his readers who were staggering in their faith and he was encouraging them to persevere and not turn away from their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the persecution that they were going through. And in verse 37, he reminds them of the Old Testament uh, verse and then continues to encourage them. He says here, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. In other words, we say the just shall live by faith. This phrase is repeated a couple of times and Hebrews 10 is one among them. We are not only righteous by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that is justification by faith. But once we are justified by faith, we don't leave faith behind. Just as we are saved by faith, justified by faith, the righteous one will also live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now you see in verse 39 he says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Because those who fall in unbelief, those who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus, they are destroyed because... Christ is the only one who can save them. When they refuse to believe in Christ, there is no salvation for them except to fa face the judgment of God. But the author is so assured that we are not of those who fall back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Those who fight against all assaults on their faith, and they remain strong in their faith and they preserve their souls by clinging to God. Now, this preserving their souls is not that you work for your salvation. You, you preserve by yourself. Now, it is very important that faith and preserved are used together. Because faith is not in yourself. Faith in God. So by you trusting and depending on the salvific grace of God, you preserve your souls. 
It's not that you by your strength and skill preserve your souls. But the way, the only way you can guard your faith and preserve your soul and persevere in your salvation is by humbly submitting and trusting in the grace of God. If you look to yourself and to people and situations, you are shattered and scattered. But if you look to the grace of God, we will never be put to shame. And then after mentioning in this passage about how we need to persevere in faith, how faith is so important to trust in the grace of God, he continues to describe what faith is and also great heroes of faith to encourage us in the first century, the readers, and today now, so that we can cling to faith in Christ and never weaken our confidence. And uh, he begins with... the. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 1, what is faith? I have divided this sermon into two sections. What is faith and what is not faith? Now we see in verse 1. Shall we all read this together? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is a very famous statement that we see that describes what faith is. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, if you observe these two phrases together, if you observe the first phrase which says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the first phrase, and the second phrase, the conviction of, thi of things not seen. Now, if you see this, they are speaking the same thing actually. The first phrase and the second phrase are speaking the same thing in a different way. For example, if you see, the key words here in this verse 1 are assurance and conviction, which is speaking about the same thing. What is assurance? What it says here is that if you have faith, biblical faith is a faith of assurance. Biblical faith is a faith of Conviction. And what is assurance? Assurance is something that you are fully sure of. You are completely confident. Now I would like to tell you something that faith is not a mere acknowledgement. I agree to this. I acknowledge this. Faith is not just that. It is a great sense of certainty beyond doubt. When God says something, you have a great sense of certainty beyond doubt. That is what faith is. We see that in one of the previous chapters, the author used the same Greek word in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence which is also assurance. The same Greek word is used in verse 1 and also in 3.14, original confidence, firm to the end. So what we understand here is that if you are assured and having conviction of what God has spoken, then you have to hold it firmly till the end. And that is biblical faith. And this is what I want to state now that Biblical faith holds assurance and conviction firmly till the end. Biblical faith holds assurance and conviction firmly to the end. You know, there is a, I love the word assurance and conviction, which is not a mere knowledge, but it speaks about the inner confidence. And I'm reminded of a story in the church history it is said that in the early days of persecution, a humble Christian was brought before the judges. And there was a, a great persecution. It is known as the ten waves of persecution till third century. Many Christians died because of their faith. And one of the Christians was brought before the judges. He told them that nothing they could do would shake him because he believed that if he were true to God, God would be true to him. You can do nothing to shake my faith. I am fully assured and convicted of what I believe. 
and you know the judge asked him do you really think that the like of you that people like you will go to god and his glory do you really think that there is god and god would save you and you will be brought to his glory do you really think you know what this humble christian said he said i do not think i know i do not think i know it is not a mere assumption and thought it is a certainty beyond doubt that there is god and i believe in him and he will reward those who earnestly seek him and what is this assurance and the conviction that you have the author says in verse 1 the conviction of things we hope for and what are the things we hope for he says again that the certainty of things not seen now christianity is a weird faith in the sight of the atheists and skeptics because we believe in the invisible god hoping and believing that what we have not seen will come to fulfillment and for them it is a very weird thing now if you if you have faith because you have seen it because you are experiencing you don't need faith at all because according to this description faith is something that you have that you will receive what you don't have now that you will see what you are not seeing now that you will experience what you are exp- not yet experiencing now exactly paul also says similarly in romans chapter 8 verse 24 romans chapter 8 verse 24 he says for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope if you see it is not hope for who hopes for what he sees see exactly what this is a power of the holy scripture the unity of the bible where one author says something and another author says the same thing because it is the same holy spirit who inspired them to write the holy scripture and the author says here that faith is something that you have in the word of god in the promise of god which you have not seen and you are certain of that you are assured of that for example i talk to a lot of people who say that do you believe in god they say yes especially those who come from a christian background i tell them do you believe in the gospel yes do you know that if you die today you will go to heaven you have the gift of eternal life and i see a lot of people say no they don't have faith that if they die today they have eternal life that's not biblical faith that's not what the holy bible says here now when we look at this passage the passage explains the source of faith and also the object of faith the source of faith and the object of faith now what is a source of faith that is one reason we sang the third song today and the third song speaks about what god is faithful <laughs> faithfulness is one of the grand characteristics of god the source of faith is god and his faithfulness and we see here in 11 verse 6 and i will show another verse also it says here that without faith it is impossible to please him to please god christian life is a life of pleasing god and if you want to live a life that pleases god the bible says that without faith god is not pleased in other words now hear this people out of all the sins that people commit the worst sin is the sin of unbelief you may think it is murder adultery and all i'm telling you that the worst sin in fact people commit adultery and murder because of the sin of unbelief they don't believe what god says about himself and about them and about the consequences of doing that if people really believe god they would not be willing to sin against the holy god now that is the reason the bible says so highly about faith that without faith it is impossible to please god for whoever would draw near to god if you believe in god if you draw near to god you cannot be double minded you should be certain of what you believe whom you believe why you believe what you believe you should know there is no blind faith that is encouraged in christianity 
You need to know who your God is. You need to know what you believe about who God is and what he says. And it says here, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now what does it mean? Not only you believe in the existence of God and when it says that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, which means he rewards those who have faith in his promises. That is the highlight of what you want, what you want to say. So, you, if you believe in God's existence, you must also believe in his faithfulness. If you believe in his faithfulness, you must also believe that he is faithful to his promise. Faithful to his word. That is exactly what the author said in the previous chapter. Chapter 10, verse 23. After giving three exhortations, let us draw near to God and let us draw near to one another. He also says here in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't waver. Don't be double-minded. Stay focused. Cling on to your hope. Now what is the reason? What is the source for your faith and hope? He says, for he who promised is faithful. He's not a man who changes his mind. You know, last week I was telling my son something else and I changed my mind and I told him another thing you know, based on the situations. I did not reason properly the situation so I had to keep changing my mind. My children know that I'm flickering in my mind, wavering in my words. Praise God, our heavenly father is not like a man who changes his mind, who flickers in his word. He is stable and able and faithful to his word. And because God is faithful, whose character is immutable and changing, his promises also are unchanging, therefore your faith should be unwavering. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because God's character is unchanging, his faithful promises are unchanging, your faith should be unwavering. If your faith is wavering, you need to examine who is the source of your faith. And as I told you that lack of faith is sin because it disbelieves God's character and God's promises. Hear this carefully. Lack of faith in God is a great sin because it disbelieves in God's character and God's word. Unbelief, as someone said, is practical atheism. Unbelief is practical atheism. But what is the object of faith? Now, if you look at, uh, we are living in a word faith movement, health and wealth, prosperity, nobody speaks about faith like them. If you listen to their sermons and motivations and um, read their books, they speak highly about faith. But when the author is speaking about the object of faith, is he talking about material prosperity that so many people speak about today when they speak about faith? When he, is he speaking about God saving you from your present suffering? God giving you material prosperity? God healing the sick? Or God relieving you from your suffering? Is that his emphasis in this chapter? We will look at the object of faith. Now what is the object that he is speaking about here? In 11.1 he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, which means... He is encouraging the readers that there is something God is about to give you. You hope in it. Don't, don't be shaken in your faith in him until you receive it. Now, in order for me to give you even more clarity about what he's saying, it's very good that if you want to understand the book of Hebrews, you need to read the whole book to understand what he's saying throughout the book. Because the theme of the entire book is faith. We see that in Hebrews 6, verse 11 to 12, what he said over here in 11 is a reflection of what he already said in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 11 to 12, and you see what he says here. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. You see that phrase, have the full assurance of hope until the end. Don't give up in the middle. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those. Now what is said in 6 here, he continues in 11. He speaks about the heroes of faith. 
which I will be speaking the next Sunday. It says that, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If you have no faith and if you have no patience, you can't have the promise. And we see that also in chapter 10 verse 36. Chapter 10 verse 36. For you have need of endurance. You need to be patient people. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now if you see over here that, he says, he who promised is faithful. Through faith and patience you inherit the promises. You may receive what is promised. Things not seen. Things hoped for. What is it that he is speaking about here? What is this promise? We need to look into the context or else there are a lot of wolves who are there who use this chapter to mislead you and you should be very careful. Now there is an observation I want to tell you here. You know, the author didn't write this chapter to encourage his readers to have faith in God to meet their personal needs and desires and relieve them from earthly suffering. That is not the emphasis of the author in this. Now there is one quote from one of the worst teachers of our time, Kenneth Copeland. You cannot read about uh, word faith movement without him because he is one of the great founders of this uh, worst movement, word faith movement. You see what he says here. And these people speak about faith all the time. Right? If you are discouraged, listen to them. But hope in something else. <laughs> He says here that, speak God's word over your circumstances today. Speak it. Speak his words in faith and watch him move. Now what is he telling here? God is going to heal you if you are sick. If you are in some crisis, he's going to give you material prosperity. If you are going through some academic struggles, God will make you pass in distinction he will take you through all kinds of success, prosperity, ladder of how you need to go high in your career. Now, the author in this entire book would be very upset if he knows that's what you're getting it. Because that's not his focus. In fact, it doesn't speak about God relieving you from suffering, although they were suffering. What he says is that, hear this carefully. The main purpose of the author in writing this chapter 11, in fact the entire book, is to have faith in God's promise to receive eternal inheritance available only in Christ who died for our sins and reconciled us to God. Have faith in him. You are suffering now. But that is only for a while. Christ has suffered for our sins, rose from the dead, and he has promised to give eternal life to all those who believe in him. So don't lose heart. Endure. Be patient. Because God is faithful. Don't let trials and temptations dissuade you. And... Um, you see what he says right after that. Now faith is assurance of things so far. The conviction of things not seen. In verse 2 he says. For by it. By what? By faith. The people of old received their commendation. God appreciated them. God took delight in them. God was pleased to this, with these people of the old. Who were they? People of the Old Testament. We will see the next week how these people were known for their faith. They received commendation. And now, I don't want to read the whole thing, but read the second verse and the 39th verse, the end verse. How they are together. How it makes sense. In 39 it says that, And all these people of the old, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What is it saying here? Made perfect speaks about they receiving the promise. And God wanted to have the old covenant people, the new covenant people in the work of Christ to experience the promise of eternal inheritance. And that's his focus. In order for me to convince you, that the author's focus is not present material prosperity and relieving from earthly suffering, but the eternal inheritance 
which we need to hope for. I would like to give you more verses from the same book for you to understand. Follow me carefully to follow the train of the thought of the author. One most important principles in reading the Bible is that what is the author's train of thought in chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter. It is a one entire bogey which speaks about one essential factor. And we see that also in verse 13, in the middle of the chapter, I'm reading what is his focus. These all died in faith, the people of the old, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. <laughs> Their home is not here. Their home is somewhere in the future. Now you see in verse 15, if they had been thinking about that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. God has a homeland for you. God has a city for you. And it is not my home jewels in Madinagura. Are you understanding? It is not the houses and the wealth and the prosperity here that is waiting for you in the future. That is your eternal inheritance. That is your heavenly city. And you hope for that. You are not seeing it now. But you are hoping that one day you will receive it and have faith and persevere in it. Don't lose your focus. That's what the encouragement of the author. We also see in chapter 10 verse 32 to 36 what he also says here. Hear carefully in order to follow the train of thought of the author. That is focus of faith. The object of faith is eternal inheritance. Hope for it. Not the pleasures and the prosperity here. But the pleasures and the prosperity of the coming kingdom. Verse 32. But recall the formal days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. He didn't say that you escaped. He says endured, which is God let them go through the hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better position and an abiding one. How is it that you endured these struggles? How is it that you persevered in your faith? How is it that you let other people abuse you, loot you, plunder you? How is it? Because you knew that you had a better position, position and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. What confidence? That God is about to give you his home, his heaven. His kingdom is eternal inheritance. God is about to give you. You're facing suffering now, but endure it. Don't lose your heart. Have faith in God. God's promise, the hope that you have not seen and the conviction of things you have not experienced, cling to it. God will give you. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now link this with verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For who who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Seek him for what? Seek him for heaven. Seek him for a heavenly city. Seek him for eternal inheritance. He rewards them because their hope is in God and his kingdom. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, what is the will of God here? When you suffer. Brothers and sisters, we have to suffer. I want to tell you that Jesus said, narrow is the way that goes to heaven. And with great tribulations, 14.23, Acts 14.23 says, with great tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. The life on earth is suffering. There is no easy way, easy escape for your life. You have to fight against temptations. You have to persevere in suffering because of one thing. God has promised eternal inheritance for you. Where there is no pain, no deaths, no suffering, God and his presence. William Lane expressed, expressed that. He's a good Bible commentator. He says, faith celebrates now. 
faith celebrates now the reality of future blessings which make up the objective content of Christian hope. What is the objective content of Christian hope? Eternal inheritance. And in that, we rejoice and celebrate now. If you don't do it, people, your Christian life will be boring. Honestly telling you, if your hope is not in the future, and if your hope is now here, you will be hopeless. <laughs> because God never promises easy life here. Never. Now, I would like to show you some verses which Paul also says similarly, which will really enlighten us to understand what the author is speaking. Uh, quickly turn with me to Romans 8, 23. And you see the following argument. Romans 8, 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. The creation is groaning. The creation is cursed. And we are also children of God living in this world are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of the bodies. Not the healing of the bodies here. The redemption of the glorified bodies in the future. Now you see the emphasis in verse 24. Observe carefully. For in this hope we were saved. What is the hope? The hope that we will be groaning in this world until we are clothed with eternal glorified bodies. We will be groaning here with the hope that God is coming, returning and he will clothe us with his glorified body and our life will never be the same. People say here your life will never be the same. I tell you your life will always be the same here. Suffer. <laughs> it will never be the same in the future. And that's in this hope, Paul says that we were saved. And uh, now hope that is seen is not hope. What hope is he speaking about? Not about the car that you are about to receive, the home that you are about to receive. Not that. The glorified eternal bodies. For who hopes what he says? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What is it we are waiting patiently? I'm asking you, brothers and sisters, do you have this longing to enter into the kingdom of God? Are you earnestly, earnestly waiting for God to give you the glorified body? If that is not, people, I'm telling you, you are doing great harm to your soul. Your life will be miserable here. I'm not telling life is miserable. I'm only saying life is suffering but not miserable. Our life is a life of joy in the midst of suffering. That's what Christian calling is. But those whose hope is not in the future, they not only suffer, they will be miserable here. You are doing a great harm to your soul. Now see also, similarly, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1. Follow me carefully. This is a long passage and I would like to read quickly. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that is the body here, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For... In this tent, we groan. In this body, we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, in this body, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now hear carefully in verse 5 what he says. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee? The very reason why the Holy Spirit is here is to give us the assurance of conviction that, hey Stephen, there is this eternal glory awaiting for you, the glorified body, the unending eternal inheritance, have hope, and I'm living in you as a guarantee for that. It is not to give us some goosebumps and a bodily, physical ecstasy that we see today, Holy Spirit is known for. Paul says here, the very reason the Holy Spirit has given you is to have hope. Never lose out. So, we are always of good courage. Though we are groaning in the tent here, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Now you see what he says in verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. This is a famous phrase. What is faith? We walk by faith that we are going to be clothed 
with heavenly dwelling as we groan in the body here that is the faith he is speaking about not by sight not by the things of the world we don't we are not absorbed by the things of the world we are looking for the things unseen and that is the eternal glory that he is speaking about you know recently one of the faithful teachers of the bible passed away at the age of 72 on may 2023 tim keller he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2020 but he fought against fought against it passed away and you see because of his hope how glorious words he uttered he said that all death can now do to christians is to make their lives infinitely better you know what he's telling do you get it the only thing death can do to christians is to make their lives infinitely eternally better why because after death because of your repentance and faith in the gospel of the lord jesus you will enter into the eternal glory of god none but a child of god by bought by the blood of christ can say that he was a man soaked with eternal perspective and you know his last words before he died it is said that before he died his last words were there is no downside for me leaving downside means there is no disadvantage disadvantage for me leaving dying and he said not in the slightest no way no way that there is a disadvantage for me to die many people who say that i believe in god and the gospel can say that and your death people let me tell you speaks more about your faith in christ than your life now <laughs> the time of death will speak more about your faith in god which we all have to go through none of us will escape the experience of death it speaks more about your faith in god than your life now and this man you see what he says that there is no disadvantage and his son michael keller said that this is what his father prayed in his final hours before he died i am thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years i am thankful for my family that loves me i am thankful for the time god has given me but i am ready to see jesus i can't wait to see jesus send me home i can't wait to see jesus send me home this is a faith the author is speaking about this is a confidence he is speaking about now i would like to tell you the second part in few minutes what faith is not this is what faith is faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen that god who is faithful will fulfill that brings his faithful promise of his eternal inheritance when the right time comes now there are two things that i would like to tell you based on what it says over here uh, what faith is not is that now hear carefully faith is not blind faith faith is not blind faith i love what uh, one of the uh, books by paul e little is know what you believe know what you believe because a lot of people say i believe but they don't know what they believe there is no content substance in their faith it is empty faith it is blind faith and let me tell you biblical faith is not blind it is a reasoned trust do you understand reason trust means you reasoned and you trust because biblical faith is reasonable god has given evidence of his existence god has given existence of his son god has given existence of what he did for us on the cross and because of that we believe it is a reason trust in god's existence god's character and god's word that is biblical faith and now if you read throughout the book of hebrews the author provides solid reasons why they should believe in god why they should trust in christ and and this is what i want to tell you people listen to this there is not a single person existing in the world who doesn't believe if people don't believe in what they have not seen they cannot believe history because they did not live in history how many of they see how many of them seen alexander the great how many of them seen the people who say that faith is blind no why because they re, they believe that alexander the great existed because of testimony there is a testimony which is reliable 
human testimony how much more should we trust the testimony of the son of god who made the heavens and the earth and who stated that heaven and earth will pass away but my word shall not pass away now this is what i say faith is trust in divine testimony one day a girl sat before me and said that i don't trust anything i said no you are lying she said no i don't trust anything i said you trust that's the reason you are sitting on the chair that it will not make you fall if you don't trust in the chair that you sit you won't be sitting there you're lying you trust at least a chair <laughs> everyone walks by faith but we have to trust more in god for who he is and what he promised we see that he gave us the reasons why we should believe in christ he gave us the reasons in chapter 1 that christ is supreme over angels in chapter 2 that christ is supreme over moses in chapter 5 and 7 christ is supreme over levitical priesthood in chapter 8 to 9 how christ is supreme over the old covenant the entire book of hebrews is a book of reasoning with the readers why you have to believe in christ and not anything else because christ is supreme so biblical faith is not blind faith people it is a reason trust in god's character god's word god's promise and we are not fools in believing them kent hughes says that a very good expository preacher he says kent hughes true faith is neither brainless nor a sentimental feeling <laughs> it is not brainless nor sentimental feeling it is a solid conviction resting on god's words that makes the future present and the invisible seen faith has at its core a massive sense of certainty <laughs> i love what he says faith has at its core a massive sense of certainty and that is what faith is now another thing that i want to tell what faith is not which is to a great extent abused in our time today and you know what is that faith is based on god's word god's promise not on presumptions you know what is presumption today a lot of word faith movement that is going on when they are speaking of faith it is mostly about presumptions i'll explain to you presumptions is emotionally driven based on personal desires for example we are emotional that we don't have a church property and i believe god is going to provide next month all the 5 crores that we need to buy 5000 square feet let us name it do you believe people god is able to do you need to speak god's word in the circumstances now speak what you speak is what will happen there is power in your confession so all of you speak now that god is going to give us the property next month sounds very motivational right but that is what those idiots do all the time on the television and so many idiotic people follow them without understanding that it is based on personally emotionally driven sentimental words not on god's word and promise we should be very careful for example let me tell you that i'll show you how the faith that these people exercised is based on god's word not on personal feelings for example in verse 7 now hear carefully verse 7 hebrews 11 7 by faith noah being warned by god concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household No I didn't get up one morning and say that I'm going to build the ark today and I'm going to see what God is about to do and he started to build the ark and God sent the flood it's not like that God told him to build the ark God warned him about the impending flood and he cautioned him to be, because he heard from god and warned by god he trusted what god said and what god said he had not yet seen he started to build the ark it is not based on his personal emotional feelings now you see verse 8 another example my faith abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance one day he didn't get up and say that i'm going to canaan and i believe god is going to give me this land I trust God is great and awesome and he will give me the promised land. He didn't go by his emotional feelings. God told him, "Leave the place and I'm going to give you the promised land." And he trusted. 
verse 11 by faith sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who has promised abraham and sarah didn't say let us let us name it that god will give us one son let us believe that god will send some power in our womb even though we are past the age to conceive god will give let us believe god is able they didn't do all those emotional statements assertions that we see today god told him that i will make you the father of nations and i'm going to bless sarah and they believed the promise of god and also see verse 29 by faith the people crossed the red sea as on dry land but the egyptians when they attempted to do the same way drowned they didn't come to the red sea and said hey moses let us have faith in god that god will tear apart the red sea and walk through it and god will protect us from being drowned in the red sea and he will drown the egyptians let's believe and go ahead that's not what they said when they were crying to moses oh moses what shall we do god tells why are you crying come on the red sea go through it i will tear apart the red sea and you will walk through it it is based on the word of god this is people trusted and walk through it now these are the things that i want to tell you be careful presumption has two faces presumption which is not biblical faith has two faces one is that faith in personal desires to come to fulfillment not nowhere god promised nowhere god said it is faith in faith actually not faith in the god who promised and they even misinterpret some verses out of context like hebrews 11 when when the author is speaking about here about faith and promise is not speaking about material prosperity physical healing he is speaking about the eternal inheritance but they misinterpret it because people are gullible they don't read their prop bibles properly false teachers exist because of gullible people if believers are smart false teachers will disappear so it is not and the other thing that i want to tell you is that faith in others experience faith in others experience to come to fulfillment now what is faith in others experience when jesus was walking on the water peter said shall i come and uh, jesus says to peter come on the water and you see who walked on the water peter walked on the water you can also walk on the water believe in christ if you believe in christ and if you walk on the water it really happened there was a flood and there is a guy who believed in what peter did and he also walked and he was swept away by the flood and he died what is this presumption faith in others experience not in the word god has given to you now some people actually take the experiences of people and bang you to really believe what god had done for them will do to you but that's not your personal word that has been given to another person now to give you an example of what presumption is i'll quickly show one verse and come to close you know what is that you will find that in deuteronomy chapter 1 deuteronomy chapter 1 now here the context here before you read the words the context is that god tells israel to go and conquer amorites and plunder them and gain their land but these people didn't believe in god's command and they told that oh the amorites are giants these are big people we cannot fight against them if we go against them god, we will be destroyed no we can't go so they disbelieved in god's word and they disobeyed god's command and they lived that way and god was very angry and when god was angry you see the other extreme now <laughs> when god was angry because they didn't believe you see in verse 41 then you answered me we have sinned against the lord we ourselves will go up and fight now just as the lord our god commanded us and every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country and the lord said to me say to them do not go up or fight because he is upset he is telling i am upset with you you disobeyed me i am not going to go with you and he tells them that do not go up or fight for i am not in your midst lest you be defeated before your enemies so i spoke to you and you would not listen <laughs> but you rebelled against the commandment of the lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country what is presumptuously on your own believing god will give you the victory that is what is presumption on your own there is no command there is no promise on your own you blindly believe god will do and what would happen there 
Then the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hornam. And you returned and went before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give you ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. When God commanded, they didn't obey. When God commanded, again not to go. When, when God told them to go, they didn't go. When God told them not to go, they went ahead. <laughs> Presumption. So here is the application I would like to give you here. When you exercise faith, hear this carefully. When there is a clear promise from the word, trust in God unwaveringly. Clear promise. There is no clear promise that God will heal the sick all the time. God is able to heal. There is no question about it. But will he heal is a question. So there is no clear command that you will prosper in this world. There is no clear command. And those people who are telling that, that they take the scripture like Abraham, God told I will prosper you. They just misinterpret the scripture. There is no such clear promise that God will heal you all the time. God will materially prosper you. God will deliver you from your suffering all the time. There is no clear promise. But there is one promise that is very clear. You know what is that? He will never leave us nor forsake us in our suffering. And he will give us his eternal home. And some people misunderstand God. They, they question God. Because of their own presumptions, understanding of who God is and how Christian life should be. They think God is all the time healing and delivering. And when things doesn't happen, where is God? Why God is not doing that? Where in God? You, you hold God for what he said. Don't hold him accountable for what he never said. <laughs> That's the worst thing that you can do. Second, when there is no clear promise from the word, no clear promise from the word, trust in God's ability and leave to be sovereign will. Which is, when I'm sick, I pray, Lord, I know you are the God of healing. I know that you are able to heal. I know that you are able to restore me. There is nothing impossible with you. I believe in who God is and his ability. But I don't command him to heal me. There are some idiotic preachers who say, you command God. To do what is, don't say let your will be done. You proclaim your will to God and God will obey. That's how extreme they have gone. But I said, Lord, have mercy on me. And if God heals me, praise God. If God doesn't heal me, I have none to question him. Because he never said that. He will heal me all the time. I trust in his faithfulness. He works all things for his, for his glory and for my good. But I can trust in God's ability and live to his sovereign will. Now we are praying for the land. Lord, you're pleased to provide us the land. We trust that God is able to do that. But we only beg for his mercy and grace. If God provides, hallelujah. If God doesn't provide, hallelujah. <laughs> it is his sovereign will. Beware of moving presumptuously, which is driving many Christians today. I would like to close with what... Um, Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego said the beautiful, beautiful portrayal of what I just said about the two things. Have a clear promise, trust him, trust in God's ability, or else leave to his sovereign will. Daniel 3 16 to 18. When it is a time for them to suffer and be thrown into the fire, which is a fiery furnace of hell and affliction that they were about to face, Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able. He is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. There is no question of his ability. He is able to deliver us from your hand. But, O king, even if he does not, if he does not choose to do it, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. A perfect balance portrayal of trusting in God's sovereign, uh, trusting in God's ability and leaving to his sovereign will. But people, we don't have to struggle a lot about these things. We have a greater, concrete, unquestionable, obvious, apparent promise of eternal inheritance that God wants to give us. And there is nothing like that. You know, I just... Um, gave some toys to the children, small toys, okay? 
Now, there are some children there in the mother's room, three years, four years old children. And uh, I bring before them these toys, cars and wheels and all those things placed before them. On the other side, there is that BMW and uh, Rolls Royce and all the other cars. And I'll ask these children, hey, which car do you want? What do you think they will choose? Rolls Royce? What will they choose? Toys. And when they choose the toys, what will you be, will you be crying in your heart? What will you say? Hey, don't ask for me. That is nothing compared to this Rolls Royce. This is grandest, but these children have no idea. They are childish. They only know the value of the toys, not of the real Rolls Royce BMW. Now hear this carefully, people. We are like those immature, childish children. God wants us to give us new heavens and the new worlds, the glorified bodies, eternal inheritance. But we pray here, Lord, we don't focus on that. We pray for physical healing. We pray for material prosperity. We pray for our life should be easy and cozy here. Of course, we can pray. There is nothing wrong. But the problem is you don't see the value, the infinite value of the eternal inheritance and the glorious life that God is about to give those all who believe in Christ Losing that focus and looking for toys. That is a big problem. And that is what the author of Hebrews is saying here. That God is about to give you something far more unthinkable, imaginable, glorious, infinitely incomparable to what is there in this world. It is so glorious. Look for that. Have faith in God. Be patient now in your trials and temptations. Don't lose your heart. Cling to God because God is faithful and His promise of eternal glory will come to fulfillment. And uh, let us long for that. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, get up and uh, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Life is short. Temptations are also short. Suffering is also short, but our God is eternal. His promise is eternal. Let us look to him, trust in him, and see what he does. Let us all stand up and pray together. <clears throat> and if we have lost the eternal perspective, and I'm not discouraging you from praying for healing and providence here, but that's not the essential focus and longing of a Christian. Our essential longing of a Christian is the eternal life, eternal inheritance in the Lord Jesus. Again, if there is anyone here who have not really been born again, don't know this eternal glory, I beg you to do it now. Believe in Christ who has died for your sins to give this eternal glorious life. And all the believers, don't be sucked by the world and by the pressures and the temptations and trials that we go through, fight a good fight of faith, as Paul said, and enter into eternal glory. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging us this morning. Thank you for the faith that you have taught us, which is a misunderstood by many in our generation. And we thank you for your word, which is the word of truth, the word of certainty. Not a single dot will be erased until it is fulfilled. And Lord, we trust in your faithfulness and forgive us for not trusting at times. Forgive those who are not trusting you now. And Lord, may we trust in your promise, the promise of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you so much that all that we have been richly blessed and your word says that every blessing we have in the Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross that our beloved Savior had died and shed his blood, offered his body. Every moment if we remember the gospel and thank you that is not enough because the amount of blessings we have received because of the cross is unspeakable, indescribable, infinitely incomparable to what we experience in the world. And one great promise, one great blessing that we receive through the cross is that we are children of God, heirs of your kingdom. And Lord... As you taught us, we as a church pray now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com. I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com. You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.